it is quite a challenge. And what we do is by the best way we've ever found is bring people to factories and show them what it's like now and show them what people get paid in the that industry. You've got plenty of welders in the U.S. making well over six figures when the median income in the U.S. is drastically lower. Hi, this is Anita from the Global Trade Gal, and today I'm happy and pleased to have on the line with me Jason Azavita. Today, we're going to go to the other side of the manufacturing aisle, or even the global trade aisle, and we're going to look at what's happening today in America. Jason is a founder of MRCA, which stands for Manufacturing Revitalization Corporation of America. Their main focus is to invest and to bring back manufacturing jobs to America. So I just want to tell you, like, I'm so excited to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. And... Um, you know, as you know, I you know I live overseas. I've spent my you know my life in exporting, okay, but doing the other way, not not manufacturing in America. But I also understand the value of American manufacturing. You know, I, when I read your bio, it was just in awe of you and all that you do. And so maybe you could kind of tell people a little bit about you and what you do. So I started my career owning. Uh, American manufacturing companies and we and building them. Uh, I was 15 years old when my brother and I started our first one. And what we do now is we've got a private equity firm uh, that's called MRCA. And we go out and buy legacy U.S. manufacturing companies, can put them all together and build them into the next phase of what is, what is going to be in manufacturing and kind of modernize them and bring them to that next that next level by also connecting them on a national portfolio while preserving the local legacy and the local communities that a lot of these companies have had for generations. So when you're talking like legacy, do you mean something like, like I do a lot in the home furnishing industry, like North Carolina furniture, right? Like that would be a legacy that they've been uh, producing furniture for years. Correct. Uh, Most of our sellers are going to be, Second, third generation, more often than not, the name on the side of the building is the name of the the last name of the founder. These are companies that you go to a small town and oftentimes a a significant amount of the people work in these companies or they work, they know someone who works in them and they know that that plant has been there for years and that we look for kind of that culture and that embeddedness of these companies. Oh, that's great. So why do you think these companies have suffered so much? You know, because obviously this is the one area of U.S. manufacturing that I've seen has been hurt a lot. So there's a there's a fallacy in my mind that these companies have suffered so much. So at the low at the at kind of the lower to middle market of manufacturing companies, there's a ton of them and tons of them did have problems. The ones that we look at are usually extraordinarily resilient. These are, they've had great years. They could continue to grow even when markets were changing and adapting. The way I explain to a lot of people is take any company we're we're buying it. They're usually going to be at least, at very least about 20 years old. And Mm -hmm. if you look in the last 20 years, these companies have found resilience and survived the dot-com boom, September 11th, the 2008 crash, and then COVID. 
So they, they are not, and most of them grow, grew through each one of those periods. So there is a fallacy that the entire industry in, in the U.S. has struggled. There are some shining examples of ones that have, have thrived. So um, what do you think is the, um, you, you know, you said here in years I read, you said something about low jobs, like bringing low jobs back to America. And I was quite curious about what does it mean exactly by low jobs? So it's not necessarily a low job. It's breaking the stigma of a job being beneath somebody. So if you went back 30, 40 years ago in the U.S., we a mother and a father would turn to their ch- children and go, hey, get a good manufacturing job. Stick with the company. They're going to take care of you. Everything's going to be really – this is a good way to live your life. About 20, 25 years ago, that changed. And suddenly mothers and fathers are telling their children – do not get factory jobs. Don't go into manufacturing. It's a horrible industry to be in. And they they turned this into a job that, w- that stigmatized it being beneath people. Well, in the last 10 to 15 years in the US, we've seen a massive change. These are suddenly very well-paying jobs. They're very safe. This is not like Charles Dickens with a dirt floor and grease flying everywhere and a 12-year-old losing an arm in a machine. These are gorgeous facilities to work in, and, and they're well-paying. If you take a look at kind of the new Tesla factories, where they're beautiful and white floors, so it's really breaking that stigma that these jobs are, for some reason, below people. They're actually very, very good jobs. And then beyond that, it's one of the only industries in the world that they will pay for on-the-job training with no education needed. They, the most manufacturing owners want to bring in people and bring them through the, the ranks and work with them. So it creates this very special position, but we've got to break that stigma of these jobs being low end or, or being beneath people. So how are you able to break that stigma? I mean, that seems like that would be quite a challenge with maybe. It, the it, it is, uh, it, it is quite a challenge. And we what we do is by the best way we've ever found is bring people to factories and show them what it's like now and show them what people get paid in the that industry. You've got plenty of welders in the U.S. making well over six figures when the median income in the U.S. is drastically lower. So we the facts spell it out. But another part of it is, is really in getting out and explaining to people that Things have changed that this is nothing like it was 20, 25, 30 years ago in the US when we had a slump that these jobs became harder. We were fighting against other nations for a man hour versus a man hour. Well, now in the US, because of what we've been able to do in innovation and automation, now you're fighting intellect and resilience and and common sense against other things. And Americans through history have shined in, in those categories. So it's a different world there. I, you know, I, I agree completely. And, you know, I, from my standpoint, living and working overseas, you know, American companies have been notorious for just giving things away. And, um, you know, in the 1980s, my uncle was the ambassador to China and this was when, you know, China was first opening up. And I remember visiting him and um, we had just, you know, he had some dinner at his house and we 
you know, I remember him saying to me at the breakfast table, he goes, you know, I keep telling them don't give it away and they don't listen to me. They keep giving it away. Yeah. I, I think fear crept in for a while there in, in American manufacturing. What happened was, I mean, let, let's go back to the, the eighties. There was, I mean, a lot of, a lot has changed in technology and automation and, right. and innovation since then. So what happened is all of a sudden you've got this competitive, this global competitive nature with nations and, and other groups that are coming in and driving the labor price drastically down. And equipment automation process hadn't caught up yet. And frankly, what happened with American manufacturers, they innovated their way out of it and said, hey, we're, we're not going to be able to compete man hour to man hour, labor dollar to labor dollar. So they, a lot of them ha- started bringing the prices down, giving it away, frankly, because right. they were trying to save their people. And, and frankly, this is one of the things I love most about most American manufacturing companies. Most of those owners to keep their people employed were willing to hurt their own profits. Yes. They, they were really that, that focused on their people. And then all of a sudden we've got this technology revolution that comes in. And I mean, things are moving very, very quickly in the manufacturing industry right now with new innovation coming up every single day, week, month. And all of a sudden now, now you can compete innovation versus man hour and the, the, it blows the roof off of everything. And you no longer have to give, give it away. You can compete head to head. And, you know, and that's what I've been seeing in the last 10 years in Asian factories. Like they've been investing heavily in machinery, equipment, and technology. So I guess the question comes, do you think American companies can compete globally? Of course. I, of course. And, and I mean, it, let's, just, let's just take a step back. And I have a bias that no questions asked. I am biased towards American manufacturing. It's what I do. It's where I live. Right. But Foxconn just teamed up with Fiskars to put an, auto, a, an automotive EV plant in Ohio. So, but Foxconn has a plant in Wisconsin, which is my home. And I know that plant suffered a lot. Yeah. That, that plant was, there were things that happened with, with that, but Foxconn's got plants throughout the U S. Yeah. So it, it, I think when we think about where to manufacture something and I tell people all the time, I'm not anti anywhere. Right. I'm just pro. Hey, a lot of stuff makes sense in the U S because I, I frankly, agree. in the U.S., we yeah. consume a lot of stuff. So you, you you might as well be there now. With what we're seeing in fuel prices right now, there's the it, the 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 fiscal decision starts heavily going on build it where it's going to be consumed. I you know I, I you know I agree. I'm going to take a step back for a minute because I agree completely what you said. Like a lot of things should be produced in the U.S. For example. You know, things that can be highly automatic, um, you know, they can be using technology robotics. Those things without question should be reproduced in the U- United States. If something's going to be really labor intensive or you need somebody to hand stitch something or something like that, maybe it's not the best place. So if you want to paint little toy soldiers and hand paint each eye and, and their, their hats, Hey, you know what? It's probably not a great idea to do in the U.S. Yeah. because yeah. The, 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 the man hours to do that aren't there, but you brought up something like stitching, right? Uh, American apparel proved that they could compete in the U S they're not they, doing they, hand they, stitching though. They're doing machine stitching, right? 
the, so they started with with hand stitching, and actually, Dove, Dove Turney right now has wow. uh, LA Apparel, and he I think he just brought it on hundreds more individual stitchers. They are doing machine stitching, but it's finding how can you pair humans with technology and frankly take the brutalness of the job away and you use the intellect of the people to run run the machines and once you can find that balance that's when you cross that line fascinating fascinating so so you're basically saying that you feel like american companies can compete and and i actually tell you the truth i feel that too i feel like americans can the way the world's changing now with robotics and technology and those other things um, definitely makes it harder for overseas because of the shipping, the cost, and um, you know, shipping costs have gone through the roof. But on the same time, as you know, as a manufacturer, we do live in a global world. So you probably still, the manufacturers depend upon the global world to get their supplies and other things. Of, of course, and this is not a sudden flip of a switch. It's not like suddenly, hey, let's take everything and stop producing globally and let's start doing it. <laughs> In our in every going's backyard, right, right, right? There's just there's a changing of the tide. This is the same thing that happened. It, it's similar to what happened years ago when the the U.S. was the powerhouse, and then all of a sudden you start seeing other competitors come up. Well, then all of a sudden that's starting to switch back. But this is an ebb and flow. There are things that should be made certain places. It, it they don't make sense to make it anywhere. Where what's really happening is for the last twenty years. So many people have believed there's only one place to build things. And that that mentality is changing is no, it makes a lot of sense to build things in multiple places to serve multiple markets. So are you telling me that you're a free trade advocate? I am a fair trade advocate. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Because I'm <laughs> because I am too. I'm a fair trade advocate. <laughs> so free. Um, unfortunately, there are there are significant amounts of people, things in the world that do not play on the same fairness level. But I, as long as it's fair and, and you're using, you're not using che- illegal or cheap ways of getting to things, then as long as it's fair, yeah. Because frankly, I want people to fairly buy our products out of the US also. Right, right, right. You know, we want to have the trade being able to go both ways, right? You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, for China for a long time supported, like I believe you'd find the pistachio industry and the apple industry and a lot of the fruits in California go to China. Well, and, and uh, the, the reality is the world's favorite tractor is still is still John Deere or Caterpillar. And right. that, that is, they are the big players in the world. And we we work with a lot of companies that work with, with Deere and, uh, and Caterpillar. And th- a lot of those parts are aimed to go out, out of the U.S. But it comes down to fairness, making sure that you're not using labor that's that, that, that's breaking human rights or any of that kind of stuff really make sure that you're using fair practices to to do business so i'm um, i'm gonna have to ask this because it's a point that i think that a lot of americans have had i mean recently when i was in the states and i you know, stayed at um, the marriott hotel my room didn't get cleaned for a week because they didn't have anyone to clean it um you know restaurants are having to close because there's just not workers 
So how do you how are you dealing with this sort of like this labor issue, which seems to be going on now in the United States where there's, you know, um, signs all over uh, for jobs? So, so there's a couple things. Uh, what What's happened in the last couple of years is people have decided that they want to look at what their work life looks like. And what does the company that I work for truly doing for me? Or how, how do I function? Does this job fulfill me? All that kind of stuff. So before labor shortages really were becoming a thing, we made a commitment at our private equity fund that we're transi- transitioning 100% of our shares to the employees to, as we, when we liquidate the fund. At year, we're expecting year five to seven. And what that'll mean is we're going to use an employee stock ownership program to actually give 100% of the shares to the employees. Hmm. When you can show an employee you care about them like that and that you are truly on the same team as them, your fight to, to, to constantly hold on to people or get people, it changes. And just like everything else in the world right now, things are changing. The, right. There are labor shortages because there are tons of, of things coming back to the U.S. also. So that is an opportunity to pair that with automation robotics process because you're watching a lot of the U.S. I'll use use like the manufacturing base. It's growing, but our population isn't growing. So you've got to marry that, making sure you absolutely take care of your people and their community. And then also making sure you absolutely continue to look at how do I automate and make things more efficient also? But, um, you know, when you start talking about things like, um, let, let's say, for example, robotics and that type of thing, that's really a heavy engineer job, um, is it, isn't it? No, I, mean, I uh, so that is, if you went back 20 years ago, robotics was a very heavy engineer job. In the last five to 10 years, what's happened is most major robotics firms have learned that it's easier and more effective to take someone who knows how to weld and have him run and teach a robot what to do than it is to take an engineer and teach him how to weld. So they've simplified most of the robotics down to basically video games. And as long as you have somebody who knows the skill and the trade, they can they can largely get through programming all the robotics. Most of who we have programming in our companies, these are not heavy engineering people. They're people that understand the, the craftsmanship. In addition to that, the person I want running any robotic cell is somebody who understands the craftsmanship of what the robot's doing because they can visually look at what's going on. And quickly know, oh, something must be running wrong today. Where somebody, somebody who hasn't been looking at welds for 10 years, they're not going to be as in tune to it because they haven't seen as many. Right, right. So are you finding that a lot of industries now are able to turn over to robotics? I mean, I personally yeah. think that's the new wave of the future. I, I feel like AI, robotics, all of that is going to change the way we live. It is. And in the manufacturing industry, what what most people have now come to learn and understand is robotics 
are an accentuation of hu- of humans, not a replacement. And if you, uh, if you look at a really good example, Tesla was famous for this. When they built their uh, plant in uh, Sparks, they tried to automate 100% of the process. And frankly, they couldn't get product through the plant. It just wasn't working. And if you want a team that has some of the best engineers, programmers, they bought a robotics company at one point, like they had everything you could do to do it. And finally they said, you know what? We messed up and they pulled 50% of the automation out and replaced it with humans. And suddenly the plant starts humming. And what they, they realized in that moment was this is a symbiotic relationship. Maybe one day, 50 years from now, will that symbiosis become pure machine? But we are not there right now. There, these are two things working together. And that it, it's a huge opportunity to really kind of accentuate humans, take the dangerous, the monotonous, the hard, the, the hard tasks on somebody. You remove those, give them to the machine, and now you use humans for what they're best, and that is intellect. Right, right. I've seen some of that for actually some of the housing industry now. Like you probably know some of the companies like Boxable and some of these guys that are doing housing. Have you, you've heard of them? I, I would assume, right? Yes. Yeah, and um, there's some of the. There was one I forget the name of the company, but they were trying to automate the whole you know, process of building these, um, actually some of them are actually quite fabulous houses in the United States. I think it's quite an interesting industry. Yeah, it's, you, you, you're seeing a lot of places and there's like anything else, when a, pen, when a pendulum swings, it goes, it goes back and forth. We, the manufacturing industry was so outdated, frankly, 25 years ago, because it yeah. hadn't gotten a lot of investment in the U.S., and then all of a sudden, everyone tried to go exactly the other direction and go to 100% automation. And that doesn't work either. So the companies that are that do well in this space are the ones that realize, hey, it's a people game. Now, how can we accentuate the people? And But but yet America is notorious. I, I know this. Um, and I have to bring this up too, because in manufacturers that I know that you know, Americans are notorious for regulations and other things like that. Does that hurt U.S. manufacturing, do you think? Uh, I don't think it hurts it. I, I mo- The majority of regulation in the United States, uh, if we're looking at a worker side or stuff, really has a purpose. It, okay. it do, there are there are certain regulations like that the U.S. has that protects things like our environment that I'm very very happy we have because I've heard the horror stories of other places that don't have those protections and it's they're just ruined that they're trading the quality of their world for the qual for a price and that goes back to kind of that fair practices is hey you're using a, a limited resource and destroying it. So now, now, of course, when you get into regulation, there are things that 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 one person is going to find annoying or the other person finds amazing. But really, that isn't the, the, the most important part is finding things that are proper and, and solid to do within the U.S. Well, I, I guess I kind of mentioned this because I had a customer who used to have a furniture factory. 
And the grand, grand factory was what they call grandfathered, I guess, which meaning that they you know, had been around for quite a while. They stopped manufacturing in the United States. And then he said to me, it would be very difficult for me to ever come back to manufacturing in the United States because I've lost my grandfather clause. Um, I, I don't know if you know much about that or not. I, so I, heard- I, I usually see something like that in some in companies who have chosen to not keep up with with innovation over time. Right. So normally it's somebody who gets grandfathered in and then proceeds to do exactly the same thing they've been doing for 50 years, even though they know they now know a lot more than they did 50 years ago. So they're running the same dangerous machinery. They're they're running chemicals that are that are super toxic, but but there's now healthy versions in difference. So when they look at it, they're like, oh, I haven't really changed anything out in 50 years. So now that I lose my grandfather, I have to rebuild the entire plant. There, there's other companies, and these are the ones we we go and buy, we try to buy, are ones that have been keeping up with the times and with the with new innovations in chemicals or new innovations in safety. Right. So these aren't giant leaps to get to where you need to be. Right. And they are maybe they're people that also too that want they they need the infusion of cash in order to invest in new technology. Of course. And it's it's like putting off repairs on your home. Right. If you maintain your lawn and take care of your home every month, it's not that expensive. If you decide, hey, I'm going to do repairs once a year, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I don't have enough money. This I'm going to go, I'm going to lose the house if I try to repair it. That companies and manufacturing plants are the same way. You, you got to keep on slowly investing. Otherwise, everything breaks down and now you have a big problem. Well, you know, and I'll be honest with you, you know, it's the same issue here in Asia and around the world. I think that sometimes Americans don't understand that Asian factories are dealing with the same issues. You know, for example, in China, they have, you know, labor problems, hard time getting labor. Uh, factories are being forced to either update or close. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's not, a- not really a different issue. I think sometimes Americans think like, oh, the other part of the world has it so much easier than we have it. And in reality, you know, America is dealing with a lot of the same things that the rest of the world is. Yeah, so it goes back to that whole concept of stigmas is most people are basing their decision-making off of something they learned, heard, or did 25 years ago. The, oh, it must be cheaper in Asia. Well, that's 25 years old information, guys. Now, hey, (laughs) there's there's regulations going. Everyone else is catching up. And then all of a sudden, now the U.S. has an upper hand because, well, actually, we've been dealing with this kind of stuff for 15 years. So, hey, sorry, we already know what to do here. So it's really, it's keeping up with the fact that when, pe- when people think of manufacturing, their, their minds, unless they're in the space, are stuck in time. Right. Where if they think of tech, they think it's brand new every single day. And I, I will tell you, manufacturing tech is moving faster than iPhones is. It, it is crazy. Like augmented reality systems that the, the <laughs> workers are seeing parts come off and they're grabbing them and rotating them. Right. Like- these guys are literally using holographics in manufacturing plants. But right. unless you're in it, your mind, of course, is just going to get stuck on whenever you embedded that thought of what it was. 
you know, and one of the countries that's doing a lot of this, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, is Taiwan. You know, they do a lot of the computer trips. They're big into AI. You know, this little tiny island out there. I don't know if you know much about that or not. But, um, yeah. you know, and, and Asia is investing heavily in this. So I believe that the U.S. should, because the U.S. has always been a great technological hub. We've always been great innovators in technology. Look at the best technology companies all come from the United States. Within the U.S., I, I was at a lab in Florida a couple months ago that were looking at next generation VR and AR and how to adapt it into the manufacturing space. It's the, the cutting edges are is already in, in in position in the U.S. and a lot of a lot of people, unless you're in it a lot. It's hard to understand, but look at what Elon and Tesla have done with right. their plants here. It's unbelievable. It's they've literally just taken it to the next level, where every single screw that their that their robotics is putting in is being logged. They know the failure rate, not of a sampling of every single thing they they are doing on every single car. That. That is so insanely next level because now if they start finding issues with a series of cars, they can go back to the data and go, oh, here's, a, here's everything that happened there and make sure it doesn't happen again. Right, right. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to talk about Tesla because some of my friends that live in Taiwan bought a Tesla. And they said the reason why they bought a Tesla is it cost them $3 to charge their car. They have a plug-in at their apartment. And they have um, Tesla, they have charging stations all throughout Taiwan to charge your car like gas stations. Yeah, it's a, there's a reason why Tesla has worked so heavily on infrastructure is because they need both to, for, their, for their functionality and they, they've been geniuses at doing it. Right, but yet um, I have a friend in the States that has a Tesla car and he goes, well, you know, I just, I just plan on, we, in fact, we talked about this the other day and he said, you know, our car is fine, but if we need to drive up to Maine, we have to rent a car because there's just not the charging stations for me to drive my Tesla. It, it, that I would differ with that opinion. The, the U.S. is just a little bit larger than uh, than most countries. And they uh, people oftentimes forget that, no, we have a very large charging infrastructure. We, we just have a lot of space. Right. <laughs> it's really far between things. <laughs> so, That's, right. That's right. You don't want to be stuck out in the middle of nowhere without with a car that can't be charged, right? Yeah, I, I, I was in California a couple of weeks ago, and there's there's there are electric charging stations at most commercial buildings. Like it's starting to just be everywhere, but it's also a very very big big country. So of course there, there's just there's range issues. But once again, what what is, are they doing? The most um, the most American thing they can innovating the heck out of it. Going hey, we can't necessarily have just the a charging station everywhere. We're going to get these ranges way up. And you're starting to see massive battery tech that's getting the distance where it's like, hey, eventually we're going to get it so you can drive halfway across the United States. If if that's not enough charge, you need to sleep at some point. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think all this thing with the charging and, you know, for me, this is like, um, this is fascinating that I really think it's the way the world has to go. We have to go for technology. We have to go for robotics, AI, and it's changing the face of Asia. It's changing global trade and it's going to continue to change it. Um, 
Jason, I really appreciate your time here. I, you know, I know I've already taken up quite a bit of your time and this has been really informative. It's been great. It's it's so great to hear the other side of things because, you know, I like I said, I've spent my life living and working overseas. And so we sometimes only see what's in our own little world. But I also believe that things are going to change and that America is going to be able to keep up and manufacturing will come back. And I think it's fabulous what you're doing. I want to kind of ask a question about that. I ask everybody that, um, uh, you know, th- that I interview and it's like, what is it that motivates you? Like what, what is it that gets you up in the morning? Um, you know, what is it that, what is the, you know, cause you to have this passion that you have about so manufacturing I, America? So I grew up in a factory household. My father Worked 28, 29 years at the same exact factory I was growing up. Uh, when I was starting my first manufacturing company in 2007, my, my father had gotten laid off seven or eight years or seven or eight times in just as many years through ownership changes, through management turmoil. Their plant was the most profitable plant in the, in the country for their company. Yet it would get shut down, traded hands all the time because the management was so toxic against the employees. And I I grew up seeing that from the employees' side. And what I realized growing up, and my my brother and I realized, and the promise we made was there was that it didn't need to be that way. And what we what we've done is our goal is not only to build great companies, build an, an amazing private equity portfolio, but going into these communities of where these companies are located that we're buying and understanding the people in the community and, and what makes them tick and how do they give back to their, their community. I'll give you an example I give a lot of people. When we buy a company, one of the first things that's important to me is to understand the people and the place that they live. And you'd think a lot of people come to us and go, well, I mean, that's kind of similar everywhere, isn't it? And it's like, no, because in Northern California at one of our plants, if it's Friday night during high school football season and you ask people to work, unless their kids are on the team, they don't really care. Right. You do that same thing in Texas. Not only is the person not going to be happy about it, you can actually damage their social circle because that is where the community gets together, whether they have kids are playing, whether they went to that school or not, that's part of the culture of that area. So uh, uh, our passion is going in and going, hey, what makes these people special? What makes these communities strong? And how can we empower them to not only stay strong, but get stronger? Mm. Mm. I, I love that. I love that. That's great. You know, I really love what you're doing because I really, I'm American and I believe in America. And I believe that, you know, Americans, we should be at the forefront of technology and all these other things. And I love, I love what you're doing. And I love, I love your motivation about this, that you've seen how important this is for within your own family. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate this. We are so thankful for Jason Azavita from MRCA for joining us today for this episode. A couple of things I was able to take away from my conversation with him was technology is starting to level the playing field, and this will happen in many parts of the world, including the United States. 
No longer is manufacturing just a labor-intensive job, but manufacturing is now becoming a highly skilled job that requires some technical skills or has technical skills. But also, these technical skills are becoming easier so that more people can be able to do them. And you no longer need to be an engineer to be able to run some of these high-tech programs. That people are still important, that the human touch is still important in this type of manufacturing. Companies everywhere need to invest in their manufacturing, upgrade their manufacturing to be able to stand on top of what is going to be happening out there in this global world. You know, there are many people in America who are giving global trade a run for the money. So those of us who are in the global trade supply chain need to make sure that we're exporting the right products and that if we are exporting products to help with these manufacturers, they were doing them at the right price, the right quality, and the right time frame. That the United States is now going to become a huge manufacturing hub once again. I want to thank Jason again for his insights. It's been such a treat to have him on the podcast. If you want to find out more about him and his company, we'll put a link in the description below. Thank you all for listening. We know that without you, this would not be possible. We want to thank those who helped to produce the podcast and primarily Rico. We appreciate your help. And thank you for being part of the Global Trade Gal. We appreciate you.